0: Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever gone to a website and found yourself scrolling through the FAQs, the frequently asked questions? That is like uh, my last option. When I go to a website, I'm hoping that my answer is going to be right there in the open, uh, something I can easily click and fix myself. Or if it's something technical, I'm looking for a phone number. I want to talk to a human person. I don't want to scroll through a thousand frequently asked questions. Most often, if I'm in the FAQs, I'm trying to uh, discontinue a service. And so they don't want me to find the answer. And while they feel obliged, it probably is in the FAQs. You have to scroll and scroll and scroll... Somewhere in the bottom, they say, you have to call, right? It not just click a box and discontinue the service. So I'm just revealing my bias against FAQs. But if God had a website, and I'm not talking about a church, I'm not talking about a denomination, I'm talking about God himself have a website. I'd be all over the FAQs, you know? And I would start with the ones that I'm pretty sure I know the answer to. And the one that we're going to talk about today, I'm sure is toward the top of the most frequently asked questions, probably only second to, does my dog go to heaven? And that is the question that Nicodemus is going to ask. What was he going to ask? What must I do to inherit eternal life, was what he was going to ask. Other people in the Gospels asked it. It's a natural question to ask when you yourself have come out of a religion that has been mostly law-oriented. And you know yourself, and you can see yourself, and you ask yourself, Am I good enough? And you want what you want is some sort of response to do one thing more, one thing that's tangibly inside your reach. And that's what Nicodemus comes to Jesus to ask. Now, Nicodemus, he's sort of an odd duck. He's a Pharisee. And if you know the Bible well enough... You know that Pharisees are, well, they're the bad guys for the most part, right? They are the people who Jesus fights with the most. They are the ones who confront him the most. And yet it would be wrong for us to say that all Pharisees are bad guys. Nicodemus doesn't turn out to be a bad guy in the end. Joseph of Arimathea doesn't turn out to be a bad guy in the end. And though he has a very bad start, the Apostle Paul, also Pharisee, doesn't turn out to be a bad guy. So the first good news today is there's hope for the bad guys, Nicodemus being included. Now, Nicodemus had seen Jesus do miracles, obviously. And he has come to a conclusion that a lot of the rest of his little club had not come to. That Jesus has to be somebody sent by God. I don't know what he is, I don't know who he is, but he's somebody sent by God. And I have a question and I'm going to answer it. So he comes in all diplomatic, you know, like like he's got to butter Jesus up. You notice how he first speaks to him. He says, Oh, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, and no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Now, different groups, Pharisees and Sadducees, also have tried to butter Jesus up and then catch him. Jesus being Jesus, knows why the man has come. And he stunningly answers him without even being asked. You must be born again. That's his answer. Nicodemus doesn't say, excuse me, what? I I was going to ask you what I have to do to inherit eternal life. No, he knows he has the answer. He doesn't even notice that he didn't ask it. And he hears this question, and man, he struggles with it. His practice to this point has been to be very, very strict about following the law. Surely the answer he expected was some other action that would be a strict adherence to the law and yet it nags him and it nags him that he sees sin in himself you know what that's a great step that feels terrible but is where we all need to be so born again reasonable question can a man enter his mother's womb again to be born Well, good news, Mom. Uh, That is not what it takes. I'm sure you were painful enough at seven pounds. Now at however much you weigh, and I won't ask, uh, you would be uh, a real nightmare to push out. But it's not that kind of birth. You must be born, Jesus clarifies, of water and the Spirit. Now, he's baby-stepping him toward the answer. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Even that answer does not completely clarify what Jesus is talking about. In fact, it doesn't always clarify it for people today. Is being born of water one thing and being born of Spirit another? That is one way it gets answered. I would conclude that that's wrong. What is being born of water and the Spirit? Is it something you do? Is it something you feel? Is it something you think? Or is it, D, really none of the above? And it is really none of the above. It's connected to those other three things, but it isn't anything of the above what it is saying is, what Jesus is saying, going further in his teaching, is that you need to be connected to me. And that's going to require me doing something for you and the Spirit doing something to you. And that's what baptism is for. It is the Holy Spirit connecting you to Jesus Because eventually, Jesus would fulfill the law. Jesus would pay the price for sins. With that little bit of information, though, Nicodemus doesn't get it. So he doesn't ask the way I would expect him to ask. And that would be to ask, What do you mean? No, he says, How can this be? How can this be? Everything else is you get what you pay for. Everything else is if you do what's right, you'll get what's coming to you. Everything else. All my religious training has been you follow the law. There's got to be an element of me. And that's the backbreaker for a lot of people today. You know, grace is a really radical idea and a real radical concept. It is not found in any other world religion. Everything else is some variation on you got to do the right things and you get what's coming to you. So how can this guy be the only person on the planet to say something different. How can this be? I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind, he's also saying, well, what do you mean? And he's hoping that Jesus will clarify that. But the other kind of confounding thing that Jesus put out there is talking about the Spirit And that is that you can't really always tell when the Spirit's going to work. It's like the wind. It blows here and there, and yet you do not know where it's coming from. How can that be? Because what people really, really want is to be able to control this. And Jesus is essentially saying, no, you don't get to control this the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Now, through these answers, I don't know which direction Nicodemus has gone. I don't know if he was, you know, like, I believe in this Jesus guy and now I believe in him more, or has he gone from, I believe in this Jesus guy and now I'm questioning my, my choice. Jesus' reaction almost seems like Nicodemus has sort of fallen backward to, I'm questioning my choice. So Jesus asserts his authority, and the way he says it is is actually kind of rough on uh, on Nicodemus and on the Pharisees. He says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? tell you the truth, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But you people still do not accept our testimony. He's saying to them, well, you speak about what you know, which is a very limited thing. I'm speaking about what I know. And who am I? No one has ever gone into heaven, he says, except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words of all these people who speak with authority inside the Jewish faith, outside the Jewish faith, not one of them has ever been into heaven. They've only spoke of things that were given to them or they've made them up. I am the only one who's come from heaven. that's... A surprising statement in itself, and it's got a lot of implications in itself. All those Old Testament people who were righteous and died, they haven't gone to heaven. Not yet. Even those people who had visions of heaven, they didn't go into heaven, they just had visions of it. So that includes Daniel, that includes Isaiah, that includes Zechariah, that includes the 70 elders of Israel who went up to see God. They didn't go there they couldn't go there not and survive but jesus say i have come from there i have the answer to this you do well to listen to me and then jesus puts forward probably the most straightforward portion of of this whole section and the one that we cling to and the one that we remember even even presidents who can only quote one Bible verse remember this. I was, that's a poke at Clinton. Somebody asked him, what's your favorite Bible verse? He was like, uh, 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 John 3.16. Okay, you memorized one. Yay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's what he's there for. Nicodemus, the rest of you who will read this know this God loves the people of this planet, doesn't hate them. They drive him crazy. They provoke him to occasional anger. They are often greatly disappointing. But he loves them nonetheless. And he realizes that according to the law, they are all in big trouble. And if we applied the good enough standard, not a one, none, ever, would make it into heaven so you you personally you're going if you're going to go to heaven there's only one reason why and the answer is Jesus that's the answer there are a lot of close-to-that answers, answers that are her, absolutely wrong. And, and I know, man, this is frustrating. This, this makes pastors, particularly Lutheran pastors, go absolutely nuts. Don't even do this to me in jest, okay? Don't ever say, well, pastor, I go to church and I give my money and, and I volunteer for this, and I'm a good guy, and all these things that you want to add to the word Jesus, and not a one of them count toward this at all. Those things are helpful for other aspects, like being a disciple, but as far as salvation, they don't mean squat, they don't come close they are actually in the way somewhat, if they're getting into your thought like that, you need to be saved by a gift because that's the only way a creature like you can be saved. And a creature like me. So Jesus wants us all to know that God loves the world And he's going to make a sacrifice, and this should be obvious, but it's apparently not obvious to everybody on the planet. He's going to make a sacrifice that only he can make. Only a sinful, sinless human being can make. It's not anybody who's crucified. It's Jesus crucified. And it's not an example to be followed either. It is, it is not that you make some personal sacrifice or you throw yourself on a grenade or, or, or do something like that. No, it's only the sinless Son of God dying on the cross that makes a difference. We have no contribution to it. We can make no contribution to it. It's Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, I I came from heaven, but I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world, or as big a portion of it, as I can. So where does something like faith enter the equation then? Even faith can become that thing that we state that I contributed and realize that as the Bible uses the word faith, there, there's slightly v- different variations of what it means in context. There is the, the faith that's the cause and the faith that's the effect. The cause one is, is simply talking about the connection that God makes between you and Jesus. That is something that God does. It is not from you. It's from God. There's then faith that's the effect, the you hearing the promise of eternal life and you believing it and you trusting it. That isn't the reason why God saves you. It is the result of the fact that God saved you. It's, it's the symptom not the thing itself. Jesus dying on the cross, the Holy Spirit seeking you out and connecting with you, you being connected to Jesus, that saves you. And a whole line of results should flow out of that. But if you can look at yourself and say, you know, I do know the story of Jesus, I do believe it to be true. I I do trust and trust alone in God's promise. You can know this, that you don't have that simply by being raised right or taught right. You have that because, because Holy Spirit's gotten through to you. That simple fact does not stick with a human being without the help of God it slides right off. So God must facilitate that. And it brings me to one last question, one that I wish was in God's FAQ on his website. I'd be right to it. And that is, if it's all on you, Jesus, then why are there so many that don't believe? Why are there so many that start right and then later don't believe. Why? And if we would go a little bit further with John 3, you would come to one sort of generalized answer that Jesus gives to that. And that is this. The human beings tend to love sin rather than the light. And there's a good portion of them that won't come into the light because they love sin. So at the root of every failure of this plan to save somebody is this fact that people could have been saved, but they just preferred sin instead. And that's a tragic thing. When you look at this passage as a whole, there's a number of things that are not great news to a human. It's not great news that I can't do it myself. I don't like that. It's not great news that I can't force it on somebody else. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not great news that a lot of people will choose sin over over Jesus. But you flip it around and look at what it does say and to whom it says it. We were a species that were damned from top to bottom. None of us continuing on. And God loves us. That's great news. And Jesus came and sacrificed himself for us so that we could be saved. That's great news. And in the end, my salvation does not rest on me. It's a gift. It rests on Jesus. And when I think about myself and my spiritual competence and everything else, I'm glad that it rests on Jesus so let's rejoice in it. Let's celebrate it. Let's be confident. Every moment that you ask yourself, am I enough? You're asking the wrong question. The question is, is Jesus enough? And the answer is yes. In Jesus' name, amen.